Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is May the 24th, 2019, and May the 24th be with you. I know that's not a thing, but maybe it should be, just because then there'd be two stuff. I don't know. It's Friday, man! Let's just have some fun and not be so serious. You know what Friday is? It's time for the Expert Council Show. Uh, they are not all piking, but I have had some piking activity as of late and some miscommunications. So I'm a little light on content, but we'll make up for it. i got Gary Collins coming up for you today. His advice on finding a good doctor to someone who just finally got health insurance and uh, uh, now realizes, eh, I should have a doctor. Um, Mike and Sue LaPreeze uh, are going to talk to you about teaching chemistry at home. This will be good for you homeschoolers, but it'll be good for anybody with kids. Because the guy asking the question is not a homeschooler, but he, well, continues learning at home, especially during the summer when the kids are not in school. Uh, and chemistry is one of those things that I think we should be teaching a hell of a lot more of, especially hands-on. So Mike and Sue will talk about that. Learning how to t trade stocks for cash flow reasons, specifically these courses, are they any good or not? John Pugliano will talk about that. I'm talking about making money, how about selling stuff online, used items, uh, but you're not making a lot of money on them individually, so you don't have a lot of time to invest in them. Nicole Sauce will talk about the places to unload that. I've got a question on combining finances after marriage and bank account options in general. I'll take that one. And then somebody called in a question on uh, buying used vehicles. And uh, was not for Derek Bonpietro. It was for me. And uh, realizing that I am not completely up to date on all the new models and makes of vehicles out there. And Derek being a you know being involved in the industry on a daily basis, I punted it over to him, and he's got a great answer for us on that. And then I'm going to wrap things up. We're going to talk a little bit about social media today. I and the, the myth busting show yesterday, I talked about how you know it is the right of a private company to refuse service or censor speech. It absolutely is. Doesn't mean they should. It, it means they can. Um, and Facebook, I said, there's kind of a gray area there, but. It's also the right of people to choose not to do business with companies that do stupid shit like that. So I'm going to talk to you today, one, about social media in general and why those of you that are like, it's just a waste of time, I don't know why you bother, why you're wrong, at least for people that run businesses today. And I'm going to talk about Facebook censorship And maybe using a Facebook alternative with something that uh, one of our community members, Brian, has come up with called MeWe Mondays. What if TSP community got together on MeWe every Monday and just ignored Facebook for a day? Or really put more effort, at least, into MeWe for a day? Might we find that it is a better platform? And I'll talk more about why I believe it is a better platform in most ways when we get to that segment. Before we do that... Let's talk about a few other things. One, hey, do you guys love this show? I hope so. I, I just I can't believe that all of you listen to it every day if you don't like it. Uh, I guess there are those people that are uh, audio masochists, I guess would be the term. But if you do like this show and you like the work that we do and you want to help support us, become a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on members and sign up. 
then use the discounts that we get for you. And I want to remind you, I got you guys a new discounter this week just because we had an interview with a guy, the Straw Bell Gardening stuff. I uh, I got the discount on that. I ordered the uh, the five uh, five bale Buster pack and a book, and it saved me twelve bucks. Just that one discount. I thought that was fantastic, you know. So, hey, we really do have real discounts. Imagine if your AAA discounts actually mattered. That's what MSB is like, and only it's really cool stuff that you buy. I've had people ask me, what do I mean, what do I mean by if your AAA discounts actually mattered? I, I keep AAA because when you break down on the side of the road, having somebody come get you is really nice, okay? And it's, it's more than paid for itself over the years for me. However, like when I travel or something and I'll go in and get a hotel room and then like I'll be like, hey, uh, I have AAA. Don't you guys do a discount for that? They're like, I already gave you a better rate than, than they offer. Oh, because that's not real. See, my discounts are real. They're actually real discounts that I really negotiate with real people that really give them to you that don't just give them to everybody. That's a condition to become an MSP vendor. If somebody can get the discount all the time, then it's not an MSP discount, and I don't want you. That's that's how that works. So consider becoming a member. Next up, since it is Friday, it's time for our YouTube channel of the week. Um, I've been asking people to send me suggestions for channels. And uh, don't get me wrong, we're going to feature plenty of homesteading, gardening, permaculture-type channels. But I don't only want to do that. There are other things in this world, Horatio. Um, and uh, some of you will know that from, and some are like, what? Anyway, um, there are other things in this world. And one of the things that I teach here is saving money and making money. Sometimes something is a way that you can do both without being directly either. That's what this one is, and it's also a really cool skill set you can develop and just something really cool that a lot of people I don't even think would know about it. The YouTube channel of the week this week is a channel called Stone Coat Countertops, and they make specific types of epoxies so that you can make countertops and other surfaces look like stone or marble or just about anything uh, and do some really cool things with inlaying natural wood and stuff like that as well. It's amazing. And they're one of these squared away channels where they actually have a really cool intro video that talks about their channel. So I'm just going to play that for you now, and I'm going to come back with a couple thoughts on why I think this is such a great channel to feature here at TS. Hey guys, look at these amazing do-it-yourself epoxy projects. We show you how to transform any surface into a stunning work of functional art. This is Stone Coat Countertop Epoxy, and the possibilities are limitless. Whether you're a woodworker or artist or you're trying to go over your old existing countertops, we can show you how to take epoxy and make a brand new space with stunning results. We have many different videos that will show you all the different looks, styles, and colors that you can achieve just by following the simple step-by-step -step process. Our materials are heat resistant, scratch resistant, they have zero VOCs, they're eco-friendly, they're easy to work with, they're DIY friendly, and they're amazing. Many folks have never worked with epoxy before. They look at our YouTube channels, they pick a style, and they have a great time. You won't believe some of their very first results. Folks love the fact that you can take an old space, renew it with Stone Coat Countertop Epoxy, and save thousands. Our epoxy is not flammable. There's no noxious smell. It's easy to work with, and you have a long open time, so you can take your time to get that look that you're going for. Our products are so simple to use, even a youth group can have an excellent time and create stunning results. You got this! 
Simply pick a color palette, choose some additives, and it's great what you can create. We love helping folks with free project support. Be sure to call anytime. We're happy to walk you through the step-by-step -step process of your particular project. Whether you're going over old laminate, old countertops, a new construction project, or anything in between, we can help you with that. Using simple tools and our simple process, you can get extraordinary results. Right from our YouTube channel, you can learn about all these projects, including our floor epoxy. Look at the stunning results you can get using our floor products. Have fun planning your next project, and remember, you got this. Visit StoneCoatCountertops.com anytime to see all the products we use in these projects. Remember, when you subscribe to our channel, click on the red subscribe button and be sure to ring the bell so you get notified every time we have a new video. Thanks again. Okay, so it sounds cool, right? And it's one of those videos, those intro videos, I really wish you could see it. You know, I wish it was, sometimes I do wish it was a video podcast instead of an audio only. Though, when I think about the totality of additional work and, and whatnot, I'm glad it's just audio. Um, but let me add some things to this that I think are really cool. Number one, just the channel itself is a really great way to see how to market your business with social media, in this case, YouTube. Because the, this company's primary business is they make the different epoxies and things like that. So by showing all of the things that can be done with their product on a really high production value way and showing how easy it is to learn how to do it, I'm sure they grow a bunch of business. They have 330,000 subscribers. So while many companies with products like this are running around trying to get a guy with a bunch of subscribers to do one video for them, they've built an entire channel on what they do. They travel around, uh, they do workshops, they go to trade shows. Really, really amazing work. So I think it's just a good, like if you have a business, looking at this may help you discover a pattern and a model that would work for you that you didn't even think of. Next up, when I look at this, I think about how much money I put into granite countertops in my kitchen. I'm not saying I would have done it differently. I'm just saying I could have done it differently, and it probably would have cost a lot less. And that one of the best ways in the world to kind of upgrade a kitchen is countertops and or other rooms or other surfaces. You can really do a huge upgrade or building bar tables and things like that. It's, it's amazing what that does for a home. So it's a way to save money there, possibly. But I also think this is a way to make money. I think, to be, be clear, I don't think you're going to go watch a couple, three of these videos, order up the materials, and be really, really good at it in a couple weeks. But I think with taking some time, making some sample boards and stuff like that, a person very easily could build a side hustle just doing this. I also think those of you out there, because I know there's a lot of people in this audience, you're kind of handyman people. That's like your business. You know, you do anything from put some electrical outlets in to build a deck to refinish a bathroom. Adding this to what you do, I think, would be outstanding. And, and, and I'll tell you why I think this is such a good side hustle or adjunct into a business or maybe even a full business. It is the kind of thing that Mary, like, has, you know, John do her bathroom. And John looks at the different options on Stone Coat and says, hey, check this out. I could make this look like that. And Mary goes, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. How much is it going to be? And then it's 
so much less than Mary expected it to be. And then Mary's friend Sue comes over and uses the fancy new guest bathroom or looks at this table or looks at this countertop or whatever it is and goes, oh my God, that's beautiful. Well, John did it for me and it wasn't expensive. And I think then it's very possible that John gets a phone call. I think it is that kind of a thing. So that's why I'm really impressed with this in more than one way. And I really like to thank the person that sent it in, and I deleted the email, and I don't have your first name, and I'm sorry, but you know who you are, and thank you for sending this to me. And I would love more stuff like this for Channel of the Week. Again, I'm not saying I don't want you know, an aquaponics channel or a homesteading channel or, or that, but I want to bring you guys variety and things that are different and make you aware of things you were not aware of. So if you can help me, I will try to help you. And with that, let's go ahead and get into... Um, the first call for the expert, for the first question for the expert council. Remember, if you want to ask an expert, expert council member a question, you put TSPC expert in the subject line. You send that email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com and say, Jack, my question is for expert council member, blah, blah, blah. Don't say blah, blah, blah. Put a name in there. And, uh, my question is one, one sentence question. Condense it down to one sentence, then hit return. Give me all the details you feel can be useful, but condense the question down so I'm clear and the council member's clear. And that, a lot of times what that'll help me do is go, oh, they think that this person is going to be best, but I think actually this person is going to be best. Or it'll help me really quick determine, hey, I should send this to two people. Now, I did send this to two people. I sent this question to old Doc Bones and Gary Collins, Old Doc is, I, don't, I guess he's in his convalescent bed or something this week, and he didn't get back to me because he's usually like the most non-piking member of the council. He hasn't gotten back to me yet, but Gary has. So, Gary, what are your thoughts on finding a doctor to work with? Hey, everyone. This is Gary Collins, creator of the SimpleLifeNow.com. Make sure to check out my new book, The Simple Life, Guide to Decluttering Your Life. It's a good one. And the financial freedom one's coming out in a couple months, so be prepared. But John has got health insurance, and he wants to know what he should have checked and what type of doctor to see. I would recommend finding a integrative doctor. Those are going to be doctors who balance both modern medicine with some of the ancestral ways. As you guys know, I've talked about this several times. I use both modern medicine and ancient medicine and weigh them against each other. Like I said, you don't want uh, your local ND performing back surgery on you, and you usually don't want your back surgeon giving you health advice because usually they're really bad at it. They know how to cut. That's what they do. Um, so I would look into an integrative doctor or integrative clinic. They're popping up more and more. You may have to travel a little bit to find one. But it gives you a good balance. And just like, as I always say, you need to interview interview the doctor or doctors or clinic and find out if it's a good fit for you. If your BS meter starts going off, get out of there. You're about to get ripped off. I hate to say it. The medical field is just filled with wolves. you got to be careful. So once you find one, the testing I would recommend, and usually if they're a really good doctor, they'll give you the testing and it'll be pretty close to what I'm going to say. Definitely get a full blood panel workup. So that means get everything, everything you can. I would also get the the prick allergy test. That means not that they're a jerk, but that they prick the on your back. They they have a little grid. They put it on there, and then they put the 
basically a liquid form of that food or there's two pieces to it. So the first set will be food. The next one will be pollens, molds, and I think there's something else in there. Um, it might be animals, uh, but it's a full panel. It's pretty standard. I just got one again, and it brought something to light that kind of threw me off. You have to be careful. There can be some false positives. There can be some false negatives in there, but that is the most accurate test to get. I would highly recommend that, and the reason I would do that, you're complaining that you've had headaches and also joint pain and, and issues with flare-ups of gout. That sounds like a food intolerance or allergy to me. It really does. The headaches are kind of a dead giveaway and the joint pain gout because it lowers your immune system. Even with a intolerance, it will drop your immune system and cause certain things to come to the surface. Um, I would stay strict paleo. Corn chips, it doesn't surprise me. And here's why. Most corn is, uh, GMO. And I don't, I know the GMO thing. People fight over that. But with this, with that, what it means is that they've put, oh, I won't get in the weeds. But what it means is they've put the herbicide and, uh, pesticide killer within the seed. And because Technically, a corn kernel is a pseudo seed. It's in the paleo world. It's real iffy. But on paleo, for the most part, the strict ones, like I'm one of them, say corn's out. You know, just like quinoa. Quinoa is a, is a pseudo grain. So we get rid of that one. And that's what I meant. I meant a pseudo grain with uh, corn. And it's just mainly because for me, it's the GMO side. There's a lot of problems. If you have problems, a lot of people have problems with corn. If you have problems with uh, gluten, I usually recommend just eliminating grains in general, oats as well, because there's there's pseudo gluten. Yeah, it was like what I like to call it. It's a derivative gluten. It's it's not quite the molecule of gluten, but it's really close. So if you have issues with gluten, you're going to have issues with usually grains. So in general. But that's what I recommend. I think that's a good way to go about it and see how your body feels. After you make some of these changes and hopefully that allergy test on the food side will give you a hint. There might be one or two items that get you. Like I said, I found out I cut out one that I went. It wasn't even rated that high. I, I went after it. It just happened to be higher than most, but it still wasn't on the scale to full-blown intolerance or allergy. I cut it out and actually I, I felt better. So there. Hope that helps, guys. Make sure to sign up for my newsletter at thesimplelifenow.com. That's the best way to keep in touch with me and get my updates. Now, one of the things that Gary has available to him that we don't have as much in, in the rest of the country, there's a few things that Washington and Oregon do that actually make sense that other states could learn from. Both of them have a state-level uh, licensing program for NDs, or naturopathic uh, doctors. And um, there's you know a specific type of training and, and what all that they have to take uh, to be able to do that. Now, you know me, I would prefer that everything be handled by private organizations, but we live in a world where it's not always possible, uh, especially with people trying to use like insurance and stuff like that. So... He has access, while he's in Washington State anyway, to some uh, types of practitioners that you don't really find in other states. You may find practitioners 
that do that, but most of them will not have gone through the training because since there isn't a licensing situation for them to uh, comply with, they choose not to. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a problem created by government that government has tried to solve and done an, uh, an okay sort of kind of job in, in those two states. So that's just one thing to temper uh, the recommendations with. Now, again, um, he's talking about finding an MD here anyway. My experience has been that in many instances, one of the things that one of the groups of people that tend to be more open for your general practitioners are either a, a PA, which is a physician's assistant, or an NP nurse practitioner. Either of those many times have practices and see patients for routine care, ordering lab results and all, and they do have the ability to prescribe medications. And my wife is the kind of person that goes to the doctor routinely, all the time, to the point of having a personal relationship with her doctor. And she's seeing a girl now named Karen, who is a PA, and I went along with her when she was having certain issues because I was a little more clear, I think, on helping with her history because of some things that she had going on in her past, medication she had taken in her past, and things like that, because it was a 10-year period that she has some memory holes in. Uh, because she was on a, a variety of neural inhibitors for a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. Not really relevant or germane to today, but when she was being asked to take a medication that was one of the medications back then, she wasn't really clear on exactly what caused what to happen. So I went in. And when I talked to Karen and we talked about certain things, I found her to be very open to um, to simple home remedies, herbs, and things like that. And I have another one that I had a conversation with in Pennsylvania that was also my wife's PA. And um, it's just anecdotal. But I guess what I'm saying is don't rule out kind of that mid-tier. And, and I've also found that they tend to take more time with their patients. And I think that's why my wife has preferred them because women just generally spend more time at the, at the, the, the doctor's office. And I think women... In particular, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all, but more have a, 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 a greater expectation to feel heard by a doctor. And I think maybe they need to be because they have unique issues that men don't deal with. All right. And so I would just throw out that maybe you might be open to that. And Nurse Amy, uh, before she, you know, kind of did what they do now, her and Doc Bones, was a nurse practitioner. And uh, Amy, if you think about. Some of the questions that come in for her and the way she answers them, very, very open to, hey, if this essential oil works for this, let's not use the drug. So just throwing that in there. Next up, I got a question on teaching chemistry at home without blowing up the house for Mike and Sue LaPreeze. This is Michael and Sue LaPreeze with HaloBySue.com, designing the life you'd love to live for the expert council. Hey, Jack. Hey, TSB community. Today's question comes from Jason in Oklahoma. Every year towards the end of the government school, I ask my son, who will be entering the fifth grade, what he wants to learn about over the summer. This year, one of the things that he wants to learn about is the periodic table. Since it's been a while since I've taken chemistry, what would you recommend? Obviously, I know a copy of the periodic table, but what about a book that talks about the elements and how they relate to each other? Thanks, Jason. Yes, I have a book for chemistry and physics. It's a Jeannie Fulbright series, and it's a chemistry and physics book combined. 
It's written in a Charlotte Mason style. It's a beautiful book. It's easy to read. And almost all of the experiments come with basic household products. So the nice thing about that book is there's very little prep you have to do. You can just dive right in. And when you get to an experiment, you just, you know, go to the kitchen or the pantry or the garage, wherever you keep things, and pull those resources together. And remember, it's not just about a book. So some of the other things is uh, libraries have science days. And state parks have hands-on adventures and activities. So look at those, the local state parks, the libraries. And then in San Antonio, we have the San Antonio River Authority, and there's a lot of chemistry in testing water. And so you probably have a water resource somewhere near you. Going to see a treatment facility, there's all kinds of water activities that go with chemistry. And apart from activities, there are also tours. So when I was a kid, I went to a very large commercial bakery, which is chemistry. Uh, I've gone to breweries like yeah. Shiner. Um, Dads love breweries. Dads love breweries. <laughs> uh, nearby us, there are a lot of uh, gypsum quarries. So Vulcan has quarries, and they have tours of their quarries. And so all of those have chemistry involved in them, and you can learn a little bit before you go and then a little bit when you get back. Uh, yes. Um, and with those activities, so when we've done scouts, there's been a lot of uh, outings for our kids to go on. And our son, Eric, had the opportunity. He was very good at chemistry. He got the opportunity to spend a day with a chemist in a chemistry lab with no windows yes. and determined that wasn't for him. He didn't want to be a chemist because he works outside. He loves outdoors. And he thought, I'm in a room with no windows all day. Not going to work. But the other thing that you can also do is buy a chemistry set with experiment, uh, experiments. Read reviews. I'm really good at that. It's one of the things I like to do is research things and read reviews. So you can go on Amazon, look at different kits, read the reviews. I don't just read the reviews on Amazon. I'll Google them and look at it. Um, and be careful. So a lot of these uh, chemistry sets for children, they have great pictures on them, but the pictures might not be what you're getting in the kit. So do your research. And remember, most of the times, you get what you pay for. Yeah, and if your kid likes to experiment and actually mix chemicals, the already made chemistry sets are super easy. You don't have to go looking for different elements. They're all already in there for you. So we also like to use YouTube to enhance our learning. And like if we go on a tour or we go to the park or the library, we'll learn a little bit. We'll YouTube it. And then I, I write in my phone. I take notes when my kids ask questions while we're out. And then when we get home, we can re-YouTube. And we just keep doing that when our kids ask questions. It's just an excellent resource because there's kids. Any question you have, astronomy for kids, anything you add, chemistry for kids, for any of the elements you're learning about. And um, it's really simple to do. Yes. And remember, prepare. If you're going to go on a tour, have your kids prepare ahead of time. So if they're going on a tour, it's fun for the person giving the tour when they ask the kids if they have any questions if your kids actually have some interesting questions. Yeah, it makes it a lot more fun for the person giving the tour. I agree. Yeah. It, yeah. So when it comes to chemistry, we have actually found that the best place to find experiments is Pinterest. They have, you know, beautiful pictures and people have all the ingredients and they have step-by-step -step pictures. Now, the one thing Pinterest tends to lack is the science that goes behind how those elements go together and make the explosion or whatever it is you're doing. So you'd have to do that separate. But sometimes it's just doing those experiments. You don't need all the fancy words because they'll get those later. 
And so don't get hung up on like, I don't know how chemistry works. If you want to do chemistry with your kid, just get in there and do some experiments. And it's through those experiments that they'll begin to ask more questions and you'll learn and they'll learn. Yes. So we also, when I'm doing something I haven't done before, I go on Facebook and I ask my friends for ideas. It's like, we're doing chemistry this next nine weeks. Does anybody have a local place they go that has chemistry and people you'll be amazed they like bombard you with oh we went here and we went there and my kids are this age and that age and you know this is what they liked about it and it's a really good way to get a lot of detail about okay that's what my kid will like because you got a lot of responses from people and they'll also tell you about some of the, the chemistry experiments that they've done Yes, yes, if you want cool chemistry experiments. And there's a lot of science museums around now, so you might even like join a science museum for the summer. Yes, so Jason, to answer your question, yes, there is a book that we recommend by Jeannie Fulbright. But go beyond the book. And remember, when developing a learning experience with your child, in order to design a contagious life, be sure to enjoy the process with them. Back to you, Jack. So I just want to throw out, if you ever do something like get your kids a chemistry set or something like that, it's probably a good idea not to let them be used unattended. I will confess to something that no one knows about at all, except some of my friends from my childhood era, um, where I almost burnt down my grandmother's house, or at least set her room on fire. So I got one of the old school, like, Chemistry sets from the 80s. You probably don't even get half the shit that was that was in them back then today if you get one. And I started learning all these different things that you could do. And, of course, there's things in the books that says, like, ask your parents before. So, like, that's the shit we're going to do. So I learned that you could actually ferment alcohol. And I was young enough that it wasn't like, oh, cool, I want to drink this stuff. But I learned that you could ferment alcohol. And you only need a few additional things like sugar to get that to happen in some yeast, which was easy to find in my grandmother's cupboard. And then I learned about distillation. And that distillation didn't have to be this really complex thing uh, for making moonshine, that you actually could make a small amount of what effectively was sugar wine and use a test tube and some stoppers and some things, and you could actually cause alcohol to distillate into a little container. So, you know what I did. I did that shit. And then it said to find out if the alcohol was actually what it was supposed to be. To You could burn a little bit of it, like in an alcohol lamp or something like that. So, I decided, you know, it, it, it would burn and then no big deal. So, I just pulled a little bit on a cotton ball and lit it on fire. Problem was, got some on my hands, and it was, I don't know what the proof was to this day, but it was enough that it kind of started to flare up on my fingertips. Uh, and when you when that happens, actually nothing bad will happen. That's another thing altogether that you can get into trouble with, playing around with. I'm sure some of you have done it. But I didn't know that, and I freaked out as these flames were on my hand. And then I knocked the, the, the little beaker of the uh, distillate alcohol, moonshine, over onto the cotton ball, and then it started running down the craft table that I had my chemistry set on, where my grandmother had all her yarn and shit like that, and, like, flames just started going, and I ended up being able to just put everything out. I didn't make that much, obviously, but, um, yeah, like, oh, that's a, a thing. So all I'm saying is that 
I am all for encouraging children to do dangerous things uh, within the modicum of control. Um, and I do think we have taken away too much freedom for our children uh, compared to what we had in the 80s. But I think the reality is it's the parents who were children in the 80s who took away the freedom. And we know more than our parents and hence their children's grandparents. We know, we know how far we went with that freedom. And so I think we went maybe a little overcompensating as a generation. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Next, I have a question for John Pugliano on you know all these courses about learning how to trade stocks and, and can you learn to trade stocks for cash flow? Should you do that? What you know Is that a valid approach, what have you? Mr. Pugliano, take it away. Hey, TSP. This week, our financial question comes from John, and here's what John says. What do you think of Jason Bond's swing trading education course? Can you recommend a way to learn how to trade stocks for cash flow? And the background information he gives us is that he says, Hey, I've recently listened to an episode of the Cash Flow Ninja podcast where the guest was Jason Bond. I was intrigued by what he had to say and the course he had to offer. However, there are a lot of reports on the Internet that say he is a scam and his course is no good. Well, John, let me answer your question in general terms. As far as Jason Bond, I've never heard of him, so I'm not going to comment directly on his particular program. But let me give you a general answer, which applies not only to swing trading, but any type of these courses that talk about making money or learning how to create an income, whether it be flipping real estate, trading options, you know, buying real estate with no money down. Here's the bottom line on all these things. Are they a scam? Most of them are not. However, that doesn't mean that they'll work for you. I mean, think of it in terms of the lottery. The lottery in and of itself is not a scam. The probabilities of picking a winning lottery ticket are well known, but that doesn't stop people from believing the hype that they can somehow beat the odds and win the lottery and get rich quick overnight. So all kinds of people willingly buy lottery tickets, even though they don't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning. So the lottery's not a scam, but it's also very unlikely to produce results for you. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but I think it's pretty close to what you can expect for any of these courses that are supposedly going to try and teach you how to make money. I mean, think about the way you phrased your question. You're using their terminology. You asked me if I can recommend a way where you can learn to trade stocks for cash flow. Well, what does cash flow mean? Cash flow is one of their buzz phrases. They also use things like passive income. I mean, think of it this way. When you go to interview for a job or to negotiate your salary or your income at work, do you talk to your boss or your employer about cash flow? No, you want to know how much am I going to get paid an hour or what's my annual salary going to be? So when you start thinking of things like trading stocks or investing in real estate, I would encourage you to drop all the buzzword phrases and focus on the cold, hard facts of what are you going to make? What's your profit and what's your loss? And if you think of it in those realistic terms, then you can see through all the marketing BS and start using some critical thinking to see if the thing's going to work for you. Now, for example, I said that these programs are not scams in and of themselves. They're teaching you methods or techniques that can and do work. But there's a couple questions for that, you know, one of which being just because they work doesn't mean that you can apply them, that you have the skill and ability to do it. So it really comes down to thinking of these courses as just training you in methods that are tools. And think of a tool for what it is. 
You can go out and spend $30,000 buying a snap-on tool set, but that doesn't make you a master mechanic. And just because you have some type of a fancy socket wrench doesn't mean that it's going to be the exact right one that you need to get in to that tight spot on a particular transmission that you're working on. So you have to know how to use the tools, and then the tool has to be appropriate for the particular situation. And that's the limitation of learning these methods. Hey, and think of it in these terms. Have you ever heard the old joke, what's the fastest way to make a million dollars? You start with two million dollars. And that comes to the crux of the problem of most of these methods. It all comes down to how much money do you have. Let's say that you want to generate a $50,000 a year income from trading stocks or from flipping real estate or from owning rental property. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Just say you want to generate an income of $50,000. Well, how hard or how easy is that? It depends on how much money you're starting with. Let's say that your whole investment portfolio is $5,000. That means that on an annual basis, you've got to come up with something like, I don't know, 900 times rate of return. There's no way that's possible. You're not going to make a 1,000% or a 900% rate of return every year, day in, day out on your money to generate that kind of an income. Now, on the other hand, if you were starting out with $500,000, well, now you're only talking about, you know, a 10% or so rate of return on your money. That's much more of a realistic goal. And so that comes back to the essence of these programs. What most of them teach you to do is they not only teach the method, but then they encourage you to use leverage. Okay, you're in the stock market. We call it margin. You're trading on borrowed money. These are common techniques that are taught in these courses. Now, again, is that bad in and of itself? Is that a scam? No, it isn't. And I know plenty of people that trade on margin in the stock market or that have gone out and bought real estate with things like credit card debt. But the problems with using those methods is that you're dealing with a very fragile system because while they work great when the economy's chugging along, they almost always fail whenever we hit a recession or a prolonged downturn in the market. Think of it this way in terms of the stock market. If you have $100,000 to invest and you have good credit, most brokerage companies will give you up to four times margin meaning that if you have $100,000, they'll allow you to invest $400,000. And while trading on leverage can help you make a lot of money when times are good, it's a two-edged sword which cuts the other way when times are bad. Because when your balance starts going down and you trigger a call on your loans, your broker will force you to sell any positions that you have to raise cash to pay them back the loan. And so, for example, let's say you hit on a particular bad time or a bad trade and you lose 20% of your money. Well, if your broker calls your loan and makes you repay them, you didn't lose 20% of your $100,000, meaning that you only have $80,000. You lost 20% of $400,000, which means that you lost $80,000. So when you repay the broker back the difference, your $100,000 is now $20,000. You just lost 80% of your investment. It works the same way in real estate. People go out, they buy a distressed property on their credit card, they fix it up or put in a tenant, they start getting some cash flow on that, they take that money to finance and buy a second property and then a third, and everything is going along just fine as long as the economy is chugging along. But if we hit a recession and banks tighten up their lending standards, and then if your tenants start losing their jobs and they can't pay the rent money, well, pretty soon that real estate empire that was working so well when the economy was going up 
now falls down like a house of cards. And you not only lose one or two properties, but you end up losing the whole thing. So when it comes down to these programs, whether they talk about getting rich quick or generating cash flow or passive income or real estate or stock trading, whatever it is, just use your critical thinking skills. Don't get caught up in the hype. There's generally no easy path to success. It takes a lot of hard work and effort, whether you want to be a carpenter or a cardiologist. And when someone starts promising you something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, hey, John, thanks for your question. For the Expert Council, this is John Pugliano of Investable Wealth. As usual, I agree with everything that Mr. Pugliano had to say there. I want to throw out one more thing on the whole investing uh, industry. When I, when I say industry, I don't mean the industry of investing. I mean the industry of selling people information for investing purposes. There are companies that sell software that supposedly is foolproof. It just looks at the technical analysis of the market and does all that hard stuff for you, and it just gives you buy and sell signals. It says buy this today and sell that tomorrow, and all you got to do is just plug a bunch of stuff in, and it tells you what to do. And it's never wrong, and it works really good, and you can make a fortune with it. I've even seen one that claimed that their software will let the average investor with little to no experience make 3% on their money daily. Let me tell you something about this bullshit. It's bullshit. And I'll tell you why it's bullshit. If I had software that could get, get me an average return of 3% a day and it actually worked, I could start out with about $1,000 and be worth about $3.5 in one year. If I had software like that with the money that I have that actually worked and could do that, and as the copy told me, it could do it in up, down, or sideways markets. It didn't matter because there was money to be made every day. Now, see, the thing is, you always sell a lie with the truth. That is true. If you know what is going to happen, you can make money every single day. And people that are actually good traders, they have a saying. It's called, don't let the sun go down on your money. And what that means is you take positions when the market opens, and you, you, you get out of those positions before the market closes, and you are back into cash. So whatever kind of crap and craziness you don't know about that goes on overnight doesn't affect you the next day. You're looking at the futures index as, you, as the market opens, and you're making your plays as the market opens. There are people that do that, and they're okay with it. I mean, there, there's people that are good at it. But there is not software that does it for you. Because, let me tell you, my friends, if by some magical happenstance somebody gave me such software that did work, I would not then be out spending my time and money writing a long sales copy to try to get somebody else to use the software. No, I would be spending every bit of spare time I had shopping for a tropical island somewhere off the coast of Costa Rica or somewhere like that, which would be the future Republic of Spirkostan. Uh, because about 10 years into it, I would be worth almost as much money as Bill Gates, and I would have Spirko stand set up not as a libertarian republic, but as a dictatorship with myself as the dick and the tater both. And I would have my, my island surrounded with 50 caliber machine gun embankments monitored by my security force, and the answer to can I come there would be, if I don't know you, hell no. And I would live on my little island paradise doing as I see fit for the rest of my life, and that's what I would do. And that's what anybody would do, some version thereof, not try to sell it to you for you know, $4,000 or something like that. If you're selling software that allows a person to make money like a cash machine, is exactly the words that were used trying to sell me this crap, 
um, then your cash machine doesn't work because you would be too busy using it to be selling it. With that, let's take one that's totally different here. Nicole, Nicole Sauce talking about how to move a little bit of product, make a little bit of money, and where to do it and how to do it if it doesn't make a lot of money. Nicole, take it away. Hey, TSP, Nicole Sauce here from Living Free in Tennessee with a question from Leon. Leon asks, what's the best website to sell low-profit margin stuff on? And then he goes on with some details. I come across a lot of stuff that people are willing to give away for free or almost free and that can still be useful for other people. A couple of years ago, I got fed up with the thrift stores and started selling on Craigslist, and to my surprise, some people wanted to buy. But my margins are paper thin, so I can't really invest a lot of time into sales of most items. It's it's more of a volume business. So far, I've been using only Craigslist, but some people say I should move to Facebook Marketplace. I'm looking for a place where I can post and remove pictures and descriptions quickly and easily, but also for an option to show other items that I have for sale. I'm in a rural area, so people probably won't drive all the way here for a $5 item. But if there's a few things that they like, they might come out. And links to look at my other items on Craigslist take too much time to edit when somebody gets when something gets sold or added. So there needs to be a central location. I have my own domain and I'm comfortable with web enough that I could probably build something in a few hours. And let's see. I don't mind spending several hours building it from scratch if that allows me to quickly add and delete items later. So much, uh, thanks so much for your help, Leon. Well, Leon, hmm, good question. It, when I hear paper thin profit margin, I have to ask, have you run the numbers and verified that it is a good volume business and worth putting a whole bunch of time into? And, so have you sat down and said, what's it going to take to make decent money on this? And at what volume is that? How much time and effort is that going to take? And based on the profit that I get from that, is it worth putting time into? And does the model make sense? From there, if you don't want to be the guy at the flea market every weekend and you prefer to keep it digital, I guess... There are a couple things you can do. Craigslist, you've already started with. The second thing is you can you can post used items on Amazon and sell them that way. I have a friend who finds things all the time for five bucks and can sell them for as much as thirty, forty dollars on Amazon. But the things he's finding are new, so he's turned that into something that's worth his time to you know write the description, enter it into Amazon, and ship it when it comes time to sell. Here we have local sales network, another network like that. And then the other question I would ask is, are there local auction houses where once a week you could, you know, clean some of the stuff up, bring it there, and they put it in lots? And is that going to take less time or more time, cost less money or more money? Regarding Facebook Marketplace, there is absolutely no reason if you're already on Craigslist to be on Facebook Marketplace. And on Facebook Marketplace, you can you can look at a seller and see everything else they have for sale. And then when you take when you mark something as sold, it's very clearly marked as sold. Regarding building your website, it's about as easy to post and remove things and do the relational look at my other stuff links with WordPress plus a WooCommerce shopping cart as it is to post and remove things on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or even eBay. And I, by the way, 
I forgot to mention eBay, another place you can sell your stuff. So I would say find the ones you're willing to support and put your stuff there and see how it goes. But I'm going to go back to my first question. Is this really good as a high volume business or is it one of those businesses that after you run the numbers and figure out how much time it's going to take, you figure out you're only making three bucks an hour, even when you're at that high volume? I'd look really careful, carefully at that. Guys, if you want to ask questions on websites or homesteading and food preservation topics or marketing or coffee, you can do that. Just send it over to Jack and put TSPC expert in the subject line. And I'm Nicole Sauce. You can just write Nicole Sauce. If you want to know more about me, my website is livingfreeintennessee.com. If you go there, you can get to all my other endeavors and it's all in one handy, tight place. Okay, guys, thanks so much for the questions and go out. Make it a great weekend. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate what Nicole said about making sure that when you're doing something like this, that it is worth the time you're putting into it. If you find yourself making $2 an hour, then you probably don't want to scale that. Um, my other thought is sometimes people don't make a lot of money per sale because they sell it too cheap. You can always drop your price, go as high as seems reasonable. This is what I say when you price something. You should price at a point where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. If you are totally comfortable with your price, raise it until you feel a little uncomfortable because you can always drop your price. But once somebody says, I'm going to buy it, you can't raise your price. With that, let's go ahead. I got another one here. This is a, a question for me. And um, it's come in from Nate in, uh, in Washington. He says, I'm getting married in a few months, after which my fiancé and I will be combining finances. Do you think there's any benefit to keeping an account open at my old bank as a backup of source? Not for use as a backup in case of marriage fails account or to hide my money from her, but for some unforeseen circumstances. The current plan is to close my credit union account because the closest branch is hours away from my hometown and find another bank with local branches. A refresher on your opinion of banks versus credit unions would also be appreciated. Thanks a bunch, Nate. Um, so let's just think about what these circumstances could be. Uh, we have a community member here that... Um, he had some issues with back taxes with the state of Massachusetts, had his bank accounts basically frozen, and then they just sucked the money out of his bank account uh, to cover his tax debt. Uh, having multiple bank accounts is, is unlikely to prevent that from happening. So if that's the kind of unforeseen circumstances, uh, I don't know. Um, the, the fact that you know, like one bank would be closed during some kind of financial disaster and another one open, uh, you know, I, I really don't think that is that likely either. Um, you know, we do have FDIC insurance, and yes, it does work. Um, if we get into the kind of place where that's not working, there's no banks left. So I don't know that there's a lot of things that could go wrong that you really are better off with another bank account. However, it could end up being the case that you have some sort of identity theft issue or something like that, and by having a secondary or tertiary account, uh, you could just cease activity and pull all the money out of there, and then you, you don't have to wait 
you know, maybe. Um, if you have a debit or credit, you know, credit debit style card against that account and you're somewhere. And so, so that would be another instance where it might make sense that you're, you're, cause I've had, this, I've had this exact thing happen and I, I now actually have a regular old credit card. Um, because renting cars, people used to say, you can't rent a car without a credit card. And I never had a problem. And a couple of years ago, a lot of places changed their policy on that, and I did have a problem. And it cost me a lot of extra money to be able to use a debit card, so I went and got a credit card. So when this happened, I just relied on that, that credit card until I got home. But I got a phone call from my bank, and it said, did you buy these two things? And at first, I was like, whatever, because whenever you travel, you know, your bank can freak out, and you, all of a sudden you're buying a, a cup of coffee in, in Florida instead of Texas where you live. Uh, and it turned out, I was like, no. So we shut down that account, uh, that credit card immediately. And that meant that I couldn't use it while we were away. And to be careful, we went ahead, because we knew we had other means of payment, and shut down my wife's as well that was attached to the same account. So... By and what we ended up doing so that we did not um, put it on the regular credit card, we could have. What we ended up doing was I had another account with the same bank, and it also I also have a credit debit style card against that account, and I went ahead and used that and just went online and moved money over to it. So it could do that, but see, you don't really need to have this like far away bank to be able to do that. The only real advantage I see to having something like this is if you just throw some money into it every month, like your extra savings, it's the kind of savings, even if it's in a form of a checking, that you don't really have a likelihood of rating. It's kind of like this extra little bucket of money sitting over here, um, so maybe. But I don't really see a huge advantage to it. Um, Generally speaking, once you have an account with a bank today, you can open additional accounts with that bank or credit union online in seconds. So while it's a big pain in the ass to open up a new account, it's, it sucks. I mean, today it's almost like, you know, you have to have a colonoscopy and a, and a blood test and, and whatever to open up a brand new account with a bank. Uh, it's not that bad, but it does seem like that. And you have to go there and deal with their shit and listen to them talk about their crap that you don't care about. Once you have that, Like, my bank is a bank called Frost, and I can go online, log into my account, click Add Account, and just set up a new savings checking, whatever, instantly, and fund it from one of my other accounts. So it probably would be more convenient for you to consolidate. Now, let's talk about my opinion on bank versus credit unions. Credit unions are almost like, they're not exactly, but they're almost like a co-op and a bank. In fact, that's exactly what they're like, because they're not 100% either one. But they're like a co-op and a bank got together and had a baby. A, a, a credit union is run for the purpose of serving its members. A bank is run for the purpose of making a profit for its owners. That's the big difference. In the end, there's generally not a huge amount of savings there. Banks are very, very efficient at what they do. And they make their money in a variety of ways. And the chief way that banks make money is by by printing money with your debt through mortgages and other ways that they extend credit. They don't make a tremendous amount of money on your daily activities, though they are pretty big on nickeling and diming you. So the way I look at it is you're probably better off with a credit union, but I can't just say that because I use a bank. 
I use a wonderful bank. If you're in Texas, I think Frost is a fantastic bank. I have been through that bank being bought out three times before it ended up being Frost. The original bank, and then there were two in-betweens, and then eventually it became Frost. It, and it's been very stable without any more buyouts since it became Frost. We almost left. There was like Sun something or another for a while is what the name changed to. When they bought out Arlington Bank, which was the original bank we were part of, I really, like, it was actually beneficial to me if I would have been dishonest. They kept giving me money that they didn't account for when we would do things like deposit a check and split it between checkings and savings and get cash back, and they would give us the cash back and make the full deposit into the two accounts. So, like, we would have, like, an extra $200 in cash. And, of course, I'm not going to let that go because I'm honest, and I'm also, like, the guy that's, like, if I keep doing, and they were doing it, like, every week, And, it, I, like, we'd go drive through and have to go inside and explain it to them what they did. Like, they're going to figure it out eventually, and it's all going to disappear. So we, we didn't want that to happen either. I was on the verge of leaving them. They got ba bought by a, another bank outlet called Summit. They were fine. And through this, the people didn't change. Even the people making the mistakes, it was something with the software this bank brought in that was a disaster, was screwing things up. So when the new bank came in, they basically looked at it, they went back to the original software that they used, and everything went back to normal. And then when Frost bought them out, everything got better. And I can call up a personal representative that's assigned to me, having been a customer now with all this going on for over a decade, and get anything I need done that they would ever be willing to do for me done instantly. Um, they are a fantastic bank. So I, and, and they don't have ridiculous fees and stuff like that. So I would say that the best thing to do is to look at what services they offer, what their fees are, what they charge, and pick the one that's most convenient for you. But definitely consider credit unions because that, that literally is the difference. The credit union is run for the purpose of serving its members. And a bank, to be fair, a good bank anyway, serves its members for the purpose of making money for the company. So if you think about it that way, the needs of the organization making a profit will always be more important to that organization than the customer. Where in a, a, a credit union, you still have this fiduciary responsibility to the entity itself, but it's not to, to enrich somebody else somewhere else. Said They have plenty of very highly compensated employees, CEOs, etc. So it's not like God made a bank for you. It's, it's not like that. But you may find the ability to acquire loans when a bank says no, a credit union may say yes. If you are a federal government employee, you absolutely should be doing at least your day-to-day -day banking, if not your savings and everything else. Your day-to-day -day banking with a federal credit union, if you do that, you can stop worrying about federal government shutdowns. You can just forget about it because they will absolutely give you zero interest loans if you have direct deposit. And if they charge any interest, it'll be something stupid low like 2%. So if you are a federal government employee and you are not using a federal credit union, you are wrong. Everybody else, just pick what works best for you. With that, let's go ahead and, and uh, take another one. Again, this was a call that came in for me that I kicked over to Derek Bonpietro uh, on selecting between a couple different options with used trucks. Derek, take it away. Hey, TSP listeners, this is Derek from AffordableDCGenerators.com. Jack sent me a call-in question. Dan from Alberta has got a few on what kind of truck to get for outfitting uh, as a daily driver and doing some hunting. So let's hear from Dan. 
Hey, Jack. First, I want to say thanks for such a great podcast. You keep everybody informed and everything. This is Dan up in southern Alberta again. Hey, um, I'm wondering, I'm looking at used trucks, and I just wanted some advice from a, an awesome mechanic that I know. Um, I'm looking at either a Ford Sport truck, a Nissan Frontier, and uh, I'm trying to decide which one of the two would be better. I'm looking at in the 2005 to 2008 range. Now I'm looking for something that's a good everyday driver, but also can work for hunting. Now, I'm also looking for something that could fit four kids, but I know it's not going to fit four kids either one, so three is just fine. My 16-year-old can drive himself. Just trying to figure out what's the best buy. Um, not really sure where to go. I've limited it down to these two. Uh, any help would be great. Thanks for everything you do. Um, you run the best podcast that I've come across yet about survival. Have a good day. Now, Dan's kind of looking for an all-around truck that can do everything and probably get into a little bit of muck while hauling some gear and people to go out and do some hunting. Now, while you're looking at a sport track, this is basically a Ford Explorer with a small pickup bed, and I think you're in the right direction looking for a double cab instead of an extended cab. I've spent many, many years as a kid in the back of an extended cab Japanese truck. Uh, not fun at all. So regardless of the size of the kids you have, I'd probably go towards the double cab myself. When you're looking in the 05 to 08 range, you've got two different models of sport track. Both of them look like they come with a 4-liter engine, so you got some halfway decent power. The thing you want to look out for is really on the 07 and up sport track is they switch the suspension to be independent rear. And so what that's going to give you is, is probably a little bit better ride on the road, but it's going to really sacrifice everything else. So hauling capacity ground clearance off-road, all of that good stuff, complexity and maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Lots of stuff going on when you switch up the independent rear over the conventional straight solid axle of the, of the pickup truck variant. So myself, I'd probably stay away from the Sport Track and look more towards the uh, Nissan Frontier. It seems like the Sport Track has its fair share of spark plug problems and coolant leaks on the manifold. Typical stuff to look out for if you're looking at one of these models, make sure those items are addressed. Uh, they do have a couple of transmission problems as well, but overall, not a bad vehicle. Now, the Frontier also seems to have its fair share of coolant leak problems, but again, you know, everything with age is going to develop leaks if you're not staying on top of them. We want to make sure they're not coming from expensive areas like head gaskets manifold leaks even though it might be a little bit of a pricey uh, repair could probably be tackled by yourself with some tools and some knowledge but just be on the lookout for these as well but other than that the frontier looks like a solid player it looks like it's got decent power from a four liter engine now the big one that i think on the frontier is going to give you the huge advantage is that it's more geared for off-road and these trucks are used on a worldly platform so that means you're going to have lots of availability for aftermarket suspension bumpers skid plates etc so depending on what you're looking to do with an outfit you've got way more options on the frontier side so if you decide to put more gear and you've got big game you need to haul back in that bed even though it might be a small bed you still need that weight capacity you've got spring options to buy in the aftermarket with the frontier that you're really not going to get on the sport track model the other huge one is that you can get a frontier in a nismo or pro 4x4 package which comes with a locking rear differential this is a huge upgrade. So typically what happens is when you're out there four-wheeling, you're on a trail doing whatever, and you're starting to flex it out a bit, you're going to notice that per axle you've only got one drive wheel. So you're spinning that one wheel when you get into some loose traction situations. The locking rear diff, you press a button on the dash, it's going to lock both of the rear tires together and spin at the same exact speed. 
Now, if you're not too familiar with this, this is a absolute huge upgrade. Uh, this is like doubling the performance of your vehicle while off-road. So even though your hunting trails may not bring you that far off the beaten path, it's always great to have that locking rear differential option on your truck if possible because it's just peace of mind in the traction department. You know, a truck equipped with a basic winch and a locking rear def, good set of tires, you really don't have to worry about the truck's capability, and you can focus on going hunting and enjoying yourself and not worrying about getting stuck in the mud or the snow or whatever it may be. Always great peace of mind to have. Now, Dan, a couple of other ones I'd be looking at would probably be like a first-gen Tundra, like an 04 to 06 model. They make this in a double cab. It comes with a V8, so if you got some healthy boys or you just want to have that extra little bit of space in the bed or the cab, I'd probably go the next size up. The V8's obviously going to be a little bit better in the power department and probably not sacrifice that much in fuel economy to get that. So I would look at this model. Again, lots of aftermarket support. They're a solid truck. I've worked on these things for years as a Toyota technician and trainer, so I myself would look at a double cab. The other one I'd look at is probably like an 01 to 04 Tacoma. Engine's a little bit smaller than what you're looking at with the Frontier, um, but again, this is a really solid truck. You can get a TRD model with the locking rear differential. So I think the the Frontier and the Tacoma is probably going to be a lot better off-road in capability, but you're going to sacrifice the space of the truck that compared to the Tundra. So you got to kind of pick and choose which one, but I think both of them would probably serve you pretty well. Now, with any used vehicle, I wouldn't get hung up on the common problems. Obviously, make sure that they're addressed, but my biggest concern is how well was this vehicle taken care of? Uh, a lot of the Toyotas have frame recall issues for rot. We want to make sure that those were addressed or that there is no particular frame or rot issues on any of these vehicles you're looking at. Up in Alberta, that might be a problem because you've got the same problem I have being in New England is that rust is critical. I myself, I'd rather spend an extra 500 to to $1,000 buying something in a rust-free area, even if that means you have to go thousands of miles or whatever that comes out to kilometers. I would do that all day long. A lot of the old trucks I buy come from down south because I'd rather put an engine or a transmission in it all day long compared to having to fix sheet metal and gas lines and brake lines and just constantly being dripped dry of money due to rust issues. That's my personal approach. I would take that into consideration. I'd even go as far as buying something sight unseen, which I've done very far away, always having a third-party look at it, very cheap money to have a, a dealership or a shop put an eye on things, road test it, verify that it's in good condition, and then maybe fly out, drive it home, or have it shipped back with a with a shipper. I think it's money well spent to get a good quality, rust-free vehicle, especially at that age. I think you're almost ahead of the game than buying something even newer locally that has those particular problems. Dan, I hope that answers your question. I'm all excited. I want to go out and go four-wheeling now. Thanks, guys, for the question. Check out AffordableDCGenerators.com. Got new videos going in every couple of weeks. Another one coming up in just a few days here. Generator kits are right now $249. You can be in a DC generator under $600 assembled. If you've got a battery, you should be charging it with an affordable DC generator. Take care, guys. Have a great weekend. All right, good stuff from Derek. Definitely a, a better job than I probably would have done with the same question. So remember, if you want to be on a show like this, you need to email your questions to me. Don't call in for the expert counsel email. It just works better in general. But know that if you call into the think line for a question for me, and I feel that that question might be better answered by a council member, I may punt it over to them like I did in this instance. All right, so let's talk about something here as we wrap up today. Not really a question, just a thought. And it, it, here's what happened. So 
Uh, a long time ago, uh, as the Facebook purges of people saying things that Mark Zuckerberg and his 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 staff of of, of complete leftists uh, didn't like, I started investigating alternatives, and I set up an account at a, a, a Facebook competitor called MeWe, and I've mentioned it over time. Um, we actually have a Facebook like forum, I guess you'd call it, like a, a group on MeWe of TSP members. It's over 800 people. And it's, oh, it's re reasonably active. It's not as active as Facebook. Um, and a bunch of you have friended me up over on MeWe, and I just don't tend to use it very much. And I think that's a mistake. And, and I recently heard Nicole Saw say that she's doing some things for her Living Free in Tennessee podcast on MeWe with uh, scheduled chats and stuff like that. And I just today went ahead and logged into MeWe and have to admit that uh, there's a lot more going on now. A lot more people have discovered it. And I think every time Facebook purges somebody because they don't like what they had to say, more people start looking for alternatives. And of all the social media platforms uh, that are Facebook-like and give you what Facebook gives you, uh, MeWe seems to be the best that I have found anyway. So... And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about MeWe in a second. First, I want to talk about social media in general, and I want to address the people that have this like seething hatred of social media. Um, that's fine for you. As a business owner, specifically a business owner in what you would call a personality-based business, my business is based on me and accessibility to me and the ability to communicate with me and know about what's going on in my life, etc., Asking me to avoid social media would be like asking a company in the 1930s to not install one of these newfangled telephone systems everybody's getting. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean I'm going to be on every platform and be a power user or whatever, but there's going to be some level of social media available. And I feel that if you are in business today, that to ignore social media is to take entire market segments and say they're unimportant to you. Now, I, I, I don't know if you're selling water to people that are starving for water and you live in the desert and they all know where you are, maybe that's fine. But I think for most of us, especially those of us who are building geographically independent businesses, meaning that the person can do business with you by ordering or engaging with you in some way, and where they are and where you are is irrelevant to that engagement. So your market is not Sheboyganville. Your market is global. If somebody can understand the words that are coming out of your mouth or the words that come off of your keyboard because they speak the same language of you and you both have an Internet connection, you guys can connect. Ignoring social media is absolutely stupid. As a business decision, it's stupid. And that's why there is not a major brand in the world today that doesn't have a social media presence. By the way, when I was a consultant way back before TSP and this stuff was all ramping up, I was working with major brands who told me the following. We have no interest in anything like that. It's sophomoric and foolish and it's just for kids. And now every one of those brands has a massive social media presence. And that's because it is a way that people communicate. Now, back to MeWe. What I like about MeWe, assuming they're not lying, is basically they don't share your information with anyone. They have uh, premium services that people pay for. That's their, their revenue model. I think that makes a lot of sense. I have yet to see an advertisement on MeWe. I've seen people promoting themselves, but I haven't seen sponsored posts, and I love that. I am tired of the sponsored posts on, um, on Facebook. MeWe's staff seems to be very disinvolved 
with the fact that you don't like something that somebody else posted because, well, you don't have to follow them. They seem to care if somebody starts, like, they, they pretty much have, you don't, you don't do pornography. So they have, like, a mechanism to report something because it's pornography or something like that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I actually think if you made a pornography group, they'd probably leave it alone. But if you're posting pornography into the general feeds or places they don't belong, then they, they, they take that away. Uh, that's about it. I mean, that's, that's what I've seen so far. The place I find them lacking compared to Facebook or YouTube and other platforms for now is they do not seem to have the ability to stream live video. And, pro and I've been kind of surprised. I've done a little bit of live video this year on Facebook, and the, the impact it has is so far above me. Doing a video and posting it, I, I, I don't get why people are so into the fact that it's live. I guess they can interact with you and all, but I mean, I get way more people watching than are interacting, uh, a lot more views when I do live videos, so I have taken to sometimes doing like a Jack Rant or something like that on Facebook, and specifically I usually do that in the Facebook forum group, so that it's only for you guys, because I think that's kind of a cool thing to do. So that's the one place that I find them lacking. They have a, Their chat features, I think, are better, and I think the platform will continue to improve if it gets used. So while I'm thinking about all this, I get an email from Brian about doing MeWe Mondays. And I think we're going to do that. And what MeWe Mondays are going to be is, hey, let's all commit to either avoiding Facebook or at least using MeWe on Mondays, specifically to talk to each other and to be involved with the, uh, the, the Survival Podcast page or group, I, they don't really call them page, they don't really have pages on MeWe, just group. Uh, and so I would ask you, if you haven't joined yet, and if you do use social media, and if you're the person that's like, I don't care about, I understand. I'm not, I, I, you, sometimes I put something out like this, and I get people like apologizing and a little angry at the same time that I would dare ask them to do something like this. And I, I don't, I, I appreciate your loyalty, but I don't understand. Okay, if you don't use something at all, and I suggest that you use it and you don't want to, it's okay. I mean, I don't get mad about it. I don't feel hurt or anything. It's all right. I get it. Um, I'll be honest with you. If I didn't run a business, I might not use any of this shit, honestly. I'm an older guy. You know, I, 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 even though I knew to do it, I still had to be drug across the line to start using this stuff as a power user. Um, but I see what it does for my business. So I, I, and I, And I know, see, don't even think of it that way. Like, here's the other way to look at this. I feel a obligation to my listeners, to my audience, and to my customers to, within reason, engage in discussions with them wherever they wish to be engaged and however wish they wish to be engaged. That, that I owe you that. You guys pay my freaking bills, right? You guys enable my lifestyle. If you want to talk to me on Facebook, then I don't care if I hate it. I need to get on there. If you don't, then don't. But if you like social media... I'm asking you to give me we a try, and I'm starting to think about reaching out to some of the other influencers that I know and maybe trying to make a real push on this because this is how I feel about Facebook specifically because I think of all the social media platforms that purge people, Facebook is the worst. They won't just do it to all of us they disagree with. They pick and choose because they know if they do it to enough at once that a massive exodus will happen. Well, maybe we just need to help them with their inability to commit. And if I can get, get a presence on MeWe that's even close to what I have on Facebook, 
I, I, the more I got there, the more I would feel comfortable saying, look, if you guys want to engage with me on a platform like this, this is the platform I use now. I will not leave behind 100,000 people on my page because that is a bad business decision, and it's, it's irresponsible. But if, if we can build up something that really is, is making an impact, and I'll tell you what I love. There's a lot less of the whiny, bitchy crap on MeWe as well. Now, as it gets more popular, who knows, that might change. But uh, And there's one thing that I think MeWe is doing right that makes me want them to succeed and be part of it. And that is the way they let you control your feed. So on Facebook... I have, it annoys me to see the same 10 things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And my wife posts something and asks me at the end of the day, did you see that thing? And I'm like, no. She's my freaking wife. I have to set up to, like, to see her shit first. And I get this crap shoved at me. And I don't even see my own wife or my daughter-in-law posts, you know, until maybe days later. And I see the post and it's gone forever. It's like off in the wind. Me, we work sequentially. Somebody posts something new, you follow them, it's at the top of your feed. And you have a choice. You can have it just be that way, or you can set it so it's that way, plus anybody that comments on something, uh, it, it bumps it back up. So if there's a discussion going on, that thing keeps getting moved up. That means that you're not scrolling through miles of shit, trying to find the thing that you saw yesterday that you wanted to check out or whatever. It's it's It just works really good. And so I am I'm committing to trying. And seeing where it goes. And, and I'm asking you guys to consider it. Go set up a MeWe account. There's an app for your phone. You can use it on your desktop, whatever. And look me up. I'm, right now, as far as I know, I'm the only Jack Spearco there. Send me a friend request, whatever. And I'll hook up with you. Look for the Survival Podcast group. Join that. We have a regenerative agriculture group. Uh, consider joining that as well. Um, there's a Zello group. If you're on Zello, consider joining that. And I'll tell you, there's uh, there's a, there's a, some groups that I'm in that I really like that I would encourage you to consider growing as uh, entering as well. One is called the Self Sufficient Anarchist. I really like that group. Good people in it. There's another one called Aquaponics and Gardening, and there's one called Aquaponics and Self Sustaining Lifestyle. And all of those groups I'm members of, the groups have chat. It's it's cool. I'll tell you, there might be a little bit of a learning curve. It's very Facebook like. But it has some features that it, Facebook doesn't. When you're in your general feed, you're seeing your friends. When you're in your group's feed, you're seeing your groups. Um, you click on a group in certain places, it ends up pulling up the group chat instead of the group itself. So it takes a little while. But I think if you give it a shot, um, you'll find it from a functional standpoint uh, to be superior to Facebook in every way. Uh, it's a better tech platform that is designed more to serve the user than to serve the needs of Facebook. It really is. So, Because uh, if you're going to sell services, then you need to have your users be happy. And I think that's what MeWe is aiming for, at least for now. So uh, let me know if you uh, if you jump on there. Like I said, send me a friend request, and I'll try to hook up with you. At my website, thesurvivalpodcast.com, there is a whole bunch of links on the, the side margins, and one says connect with TSP. And uh, you can get right over and find my MeWe profile that way. It's in there along with my LinkedIn and all the other stuff like that. All right. So with that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I enjoyed doing it. Really great variety of topics. 
I, like I said, I do have some piking going on in the council. I also have a shortage of questions for some members. So I could use your help, guys. Get me questions for expert council members, and I'll shove them over the fence. If I don't hear back, I'll start poking the pikers and get you guys answers. With that, let's go ahead and talk about how you can support us in a painless way. That is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. You go to tspaz.com, which is T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to shop online, start your shopping there. You help us no matter what you buy, and you can check out my reviews. Today's item of the day, Firmax Yeast Nutrient. By the pound, this stuff is a steal because you only use a couple of teaspoons per batch of mead, and a pound of it will set you back at a whopping $9. It's yeast nutrient. That means it's food for your yeast. There's a couple different ways to use it. There's the lazy man's way, which is when you brew it, you just add some. And then there's staged feeding, where we brew uh, a batch of mead, we let it get off to a start, then we feed it on, let's say, day two, four, and six. There's other uh, schedules. I cover all of this in the review today. In general, I throw one to two teaspoons per gallon into my mead, my small batch mead. Uh, the main reason I do that is because I make mostly fruit and herb meats and stuff like that, and those adjuncts provide some nutrient. So I'm just adding a kick of nutrient. When I make a classic mead, which means I'm using honey, I'm using water, and I'm using yeast, and that's it, just a traditional you know, empty mead, um, those are more likely to get stuck fermentation, so I do actually go with the 2-4-6 staged feeding. Uh, of my meat. This stuff works great for accelerating fermentation and getting full attenuation. So if you're a person that really likes your ferments nice and dry, fully attenuated, this is really good for that as well. Uh, I even use it when I make ciders. Yeah, apple juice has plenty of nutrient, but this is like nutrient that's made for your yeast. It's like, here, num, 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 eat this. And uh, so for eight bucks, I just think it's something every brewer should be using. If you want to get started in small batch mead making, if you go to the website and search for small batch, you'll find a couple different podcasts we did, and including like a three-hour Q&A on small batch uh, mead making and, and, and wine making, cider making, etc. cetera. Uh, so you can learn everything for free at the website, thesurvivalpodcast.com. All right, with that, let's go ahead and talk about our song of the day today. I've continued this week kind of... Uh, You know, just picking some of my own music for this week and setting, letting John Adam, who usually does the music uh, lineups for me. And I thought about it. It's Friday! And I thought about what Friday used to be like for me. And I don't even mean, like, about the time I started this show. I'm talking about way back. I'm talking, like, early 90s, broke-ass Jack Spirico making 12 bucks an hour or whatever, uh, driving around in my beat-up-ass old truck and, and just wanting the week to be over as soon as it started. And when I thought about that, I went, I bet there's a lot of people still feel that way in this audience. And I bet there's a lot of people that remember feeling that way in this audience. And what is the anthem of that? Well, in country music, to me, I think the anthem to that was written by, and, and sung by one of the best country music artists of all time, George Jones, the possum man. And it's called Finally Friday. And it, it really is, if you, if you actually listen to it, it's, 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 it's living a way you shouldn't. It's living for the weekend, blowing all your money on the weekend, going back to work on Monday morning with a hangover, forcing your way through the week so you can do it again, and going out and, and living for that time off. But that's a stage I think a lot of us go through. My, my lesson for you with it, though, is, if, especially if you're still there, You can only do that for so long before you start wishing you didn't. What you want to do is design your life 
so the weekends are nice, but not necessary. With that, I do hope you enjoy your Friday and your long weekend. We will be taking Monday off for Memorial Day, um, and I will be having a long weekend with you. And with that, again, make the most of it. Spend time with people, do you know the people that are important to you. Uh, enjoy your weekend. And if you want to have a weekend like you're having in this song, that's fine. Just don't make it a lifetime commitment. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I'm all-